it's great to be here. I don't think I've ever been inside this building before. I did a trial run about a month and a half ago just to drive down from Wyala to Port Lincoln just to see how long it would take because Google Maps was only, you know, like a minute out, but I didn't trust it anyway. Um, just because, you know, like we've got a church service in the morning and then we normally get stuck hanging around and talking to people. And so we left and we got here at 5.30 a month and a half ago and thought, okay, so we need to change some things when we come down here properly. Uh, so it's great to actually be here. Thank you uh, for trusting me enough to let me have a microphone in your church. I appreciate that. That's a big responsibility, and I get that. Um, my wife, uh, who's not here with me tonight, uh, sends her greetings as well, um, and uh, her name's Cherry, and she's fantastic. Uh, not like Job's wife. Uh, sorry, it's just a song that Shane, a thing that Shane had earlier. Um, my wife is fantastic. I've got three kids, and uh, the stress of that is joyful. Uh, count it all joy, according to the scriptures. Uh, wonderful kids, and the problem is they've got a call on the call of God on their life, and and they're not ready for it yet, and that just causes all sorts of turbulence in the house. And so we're working through that one as best we can. It's great to be here. I want to talk a little bit about prophecy tonight. Um, prophecy is wonderful, and uh, I know in my experience. Talking about prophecy as a pastor is one of the scariest things you can do. Uh, like it, it, it's, it's risky. It's risky to put the power of God in people's hands because uh, you don't always know whether it's God and they don't always know whether it's God and sometimes they do crazy things. Um, but prophecy is important at the same time. And uh, g'day. Hiya. Just saw you over there. Um, it's important. We, we can't we can't really successfully go through our Christian walk without the voice of God being heard and spoken. Um, and, and so I just want to speak into that a little bit tonight, a bit of a chat about prophecy uh, and even go as far as maybe what it means to be a prophet because um, they're actually significantly different. But I've got a photo that I took in a car earlier today. And uh, it wasn't my car, I borrowed a car to get from Wyala to Cal uh, and then jumped in Shane's car. If we could have that photo up, oh, there it is. This is uh, me driving from Wyala to Cal, just to prove that I'm a little bit spiritual. Um, it was 110 zone at the time, that wasn't coming past your airport in the 80 zone. But there was something that really grabbed me, although I probably shouldn't have taken the photo though. <laughs> Shane took the photo while I was driving. Um, Something really grabbed me that is different to my car on this photo, and that is on the right-hand side, you'll see there's a temperature gauge. And on mine, it's on the side, and it says cool, and then it's got a whole lot of lines, and then it says hot, or C and H in this case. Um, but there's this middle section on this one defined as normal. And uh, I think that gauge is a really good description of most people's... Like, if we talk about Christianity in general... There's some people are cold, there's some people that are hot, but there's actually most people end up in the normal section. Especially in Australian culture, where extremes and strong statements are frowned upon, and it's actually, we're always trying to get squashed back into, no, that's too extreme, that's too fiery, that's too much passion for God. And, uh, and I, I think that that 
temperature gauge is a really good description of Christianity in Australia. And it scared me. Because the Bible says, quoting from God, I would rather you either be hot or cold than lukewarm. Um, so I, that, I just had a bit of a moment in the car. thought, I don't have Instagram, so I'll show all of you guys instead. Because uh, I'm like that. Just an encouragement. Uh, not to become mediocre in your Christian walk. To press into God. Um, that might have nothing to do with what happens on a Sunday. Most of the people here, I'm sure, have some sort of employment, either work or study or something somewhere, either Port Lincoln or around, and it applies there too. You can be following God on the journey that he's laid out before you, wherever that takes you. Uh, but press in. Don't just settle for a normal Christianity. Get hot for God. So I want to talk about prophecy. Prophecy is um, like revelation. So what I just said to Josh before um, probably didn't necessarily uh, have that much risk in it in some senses because I wasn't specifically saying anything that any of you can say, well, he would have known that or he could have known that or, uh, or how did he know that? It, it was one of those ones that's probably fairly safe. Uh, there was no extreme detail that was given it's a fairly normal scenario that he's going through past this kid uh with the call of god on his life that's clear it didn't necessarily take much revelation for that part and i'll be honest about that uh but i felt something in my spirit which i didn't know any other way and so i shared it with him and that's a type of prophecy it's actually speaking into his future something that he might have to watch out for at the moment it might not be a problem but uh, maybe in 30 years' time, he'll get stabbed in the back over something. Who knows? And at that point, hopefully someone's going to write that down or give him a recording of it or he'll remember it somehow. And, uh, and that'll come back to him and he'll have a choice to make. Do I trust God in that moment or do I turn my back on the whole thing and throw in the towel? And, and that's, the, that's the thing. I, I don't know when that's going to be. It might, be, might have been yesterday. It might have been a conversation he had in his dad's office yesterday and he's going to get kicked out of the church because he's got a bad attitude or something and now he's got to deal with that in his heart. I don't know. It might have been a much clearer thing that just suddenly resonated in real obvious ways, uh, but I think it's probably for the future. And, and that's the way that prophecy works. And, and the goal is with prophecy that it helps him whether it helps him now, whether it helps him in 15 years' time, or whether it helps him in 40 years' time, or whether it helped him with something that happened yesterday in, in his dad's office. I'll have to ask you that, whether you had that conversation with him yet. You said you... No, no. Um, when the Bible talks about the gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians, it has two chapters that talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And in between those two chapters, there's the chapter of love. Because love is the foundation stone of the gifts of the Spirit. If what I'm doing is done to make me look good, it's not from God. If it's done because he might need help, then it's more likely to be from God. It's not a guarantee because you could still get it wrong. But, but the fact that it's to help someone else is the whole point of it. And so for me, I had this statement stirring my spirit probably about a week ago. Don't desire prophecy. 
desire to help people. Now, the Bible does say to desire the gifts and especially prophecy, but it's in the context of helping people. It's never for me so that I can give someone a word and everyone thinks, wow, isn't he wonderful? Like, that's, that's the opposite to prophecy. Prophecy is a message from God to someone through someone who wants to help. That's prophecy. Now, the prophecy, if it's from God, the automatic, is assumption, the automatic assumption is, if it's from God, it'll happen. I want to give you a clear example from Scripture where that's not the case. But I want to qualify that by saying, it will happen depending on a couple of things. Depending on, first of all, our response to the word we receive. And secondly, dependent on God's timing. So if God speaks a word to me and I reject it or I don't do what he said or I don't let it work on my character, then I'm actually undermining the prophetic word. And that carries on maybe for, in Abraham's case, 30 years until God's timing is complete. At which point, if we've still had our correct response for 30 years or since yesterday or however long, it might be a minute, might be 30 years. Some prophecies in Scripture took hundreds of years to fulfill, well beyond the person's lifetime. That's all okay. If our response up until that point is correct, it'll come to pass in our life. I also want to talk about the purpose of prophecy. The purpose of prophecy, for example, in Joseph's case that I mentioned before, the purpose of prophecy is to develop the person. Now, it might not be in the words that have been spoken, but in the example that we've just had here with Josh, it was in the words, there was a, a discussion about future character. And he might already be like that. I don't know. That might be one of the things he's been wrestling with and thinking, I need to change that. God spoke. I don't know. I don't know his circumstances. But, but within the word, there was something to do with character, keeping your heart right, that sort of thing. Because the purpose of our Christian walk, which ultimately defines what we're going to get as a prophetic word, the purpose of our Christian walk is for us to become more like Jesus. That's the goal. And so whatever it is that God gives you personally as a destiny, and it might be the most amazing thing, you might become the next ruler of the moon. That's an outrageous example. Anything short of that is exciting. doesn't matter how big or grand or amazing the prophetic word is, its ultimate purpose is to bring you into the character of Christ and or to equip other people to become more like Christ through you. It's all about becoming more like him. That's the goal. That's the hope. And we can't do that on our own. We need his help. We need to rely on him. We need each other. We can't do it on our own. So I want to talk to you a little bit, a little bit about Jonah. Now, Jonah goes into the next category that I want to talk about, but he also did prophesy. So I'm going to speak about that. God came to Jonah 
And he told him, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. And the reason that I want you to go to the city of Nineveh is because they need a message from me. And the message is, I'm going to destroy them. Now, we know from reading the book that God's heart was not to destroy the people of Nineveh. He didn't want to destroy them. And most of the problems in Jonah's life are because he knew that God didn't want to destroy Nineveh. That's actually the point of the book. Now, I, I remember growing up hearing stories about Jonah, and uh, I decided I never wanted to be like Jonah. I didn't want to be the guy that ran away from the call of God. I want to be the, and that's the message that we normally share, and it's a good message. But I always grow up, grew up hearing about how terrible Jonah was uh, rather than how easily we can relate to him. But one of the key points that I always seem to remember hearing about the story of Jonah was that the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because the people of Nineveh were terrible people. They were cruel, they were vicious, they hated the Jews uh, and they had all of these bad characteristics and Jonah didn't like them. It could well be true. I can't prove it or disprove it. The problem I have with that statement is that it's not the reason that the Bible gives for why Jonah didn't want to go. The Bible actually tells us why Jonah didn't want to go. I'll come back to that in a moment. So God gives this message to Jonah, go and tell them that I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah says, no, I don't want to tell them that message. And so he runs the other way. Like the opposite direction. And he goes as far as he can. And despite the fact that he's in a shipwreck, that's like this boat's about to sink, despite that, he's still determined to get away from God and God's plan on his life. And so there's a storm and the whole boat is going down and all of the people who didn't know God sat around and said, this is obviously not a natural storm. There is something going on here which is way beyond anything that we've ever experienced in our years in the sea. It must be spiritual somehow. And so they sat down and formed a committee and tried to work out whose false God was at was to be blamed for this thing and what they could do to appease it. And they all sat there saying, well, I haven't done anything that my God told me not to do. And so finally, they go downstairs and they find Jonah trying to sleep in the bottom of the boat. The reason Jonah was able to sleep was because he knew if this boat sinks, he's finally at peace. I don't know if you've ever had God tell you to do something and you went the other way and there's no peace. It doesn't matter where you go, where you look, or what you try to do, you cannot find peace until God gives you the opportunity again to do that thing that he told you. So Jonah's hoping that this boat will sink because he'll finally be at peace. And they find him and they say, what's going on? And he says, well, God gave me a clear message. I ran the other way. That's why there's a storm. And they say, well, what can we do to fix it? Throw me over the bo overboard and all your problems and mine will be solved. And so they grab him and they throw him overboard and a whale swallows him, or a great fish. And three days and three nights, he sits there at the bottom of the ocean and he repents. I've been in this place. He prayed the prayer, God, oh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this. He said, God, I know what you told me to do. Thanks for that. 
just talking about water, wasn't I? He said, God, I know what you wanted me to do, and I'm not doing it. And I'm sorry. Give me another chance. I'll do whatever you ask. That's not actually his prayer. It's close to that. That was my prayer. That was my prayer after five years of running. God answered it. He said, yeah, okay, I'll give you another chance. And he recreated the whole circumstance, the same as he did for Jonah. He said, now let's try this again. And I was determined I'm not going to make that mistake again. So after his repentance, the whale spits him back up on dry land about a day's walk from Nineveh. And he has a day to get his heart right to go and deal with these people. And he goes in, and I don't know if you've ever seen anyone that's been eaten by a whale and then spat back out, but it's probably a scary, haunting sight. Uh, I did hear once, I don't know if it's true, but I did hear once they found some guy when they caught a whale and he'd been in there for about three days and he was just bleached white from the stomach acids. I don't know if that's true. Um, but you can imagine if there's someone that looked like that. Uh, no, I don't. I've got a guy from Fiji telling me I look like that. You're so racist. If you saw a guy that had completely bleached walking down the street of your city, you'd notice it. Whether you listened to him, whether you thought he was crazy or not, you'd notice it. So he walks down the streets of Nineveh saying, in 40 days, this city's going to be destroyed. He didn't give them any option of what they could do about it. He just walked around saying, you're going to be destroyed. The king caught wind of it because everyone was in distress. And the whole town fasted and prayed, cried out to God for mercy. And Jonah went up on the hill to sit there and watch to see if God would really destroy the city. <laughs> I love the start. If we could have uh, Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. The change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry. It's about to explain why. We'll get to that. See, Jonah was a prophet. And there's only one recorded prophecy in the whole scripture of what Jonah actually declared, saying this is from God. There's only one recorded prophecy. And that is, your city is going to be destroyed. I don't know if you're aware of what happens to Old Testament prophets who get it wrong. Uh, but it's deadly. That's it. You don't, you don't get too many chances. If you prophesy and say, God said, and according to God's description, if you say that and it doesn't happen, you're not one of my prophets. That's God's words. If you say, the Lord said, and it doesn't come to pass, you're a false prophet. I didn't send you. And, and it actually says to judge them based on whether or not the word comes to pass and to punish them if it doesn't. Otherwise, you end up with lots of false prophets just going around causing all sorts of trouble and that's not God's plan. And so they would actually go and kill the prophets if they were false prophets 
And, uh, and that, was, that was quite fun. If we could put uh, verse 1 back up and we'll, we'll read a little bit of this. This is actually the reason. This, this is the description in the Old Testament. You need to understand, this is the Old Testament description of God's character. Jonah didn't share God's character. But he had one of the clearest understandings of who God really was in the whole Old Testament. His description of God that we're about to read is amazingly accurate in the New Covenant. The change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. We're going to read through to verse 3. This change of plans... Oh, we said that one, yes. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you wouldn't do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Jonah knew that God is a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. That sounds very much like a New Testament revelation of God. Eager to turn back from destroying people. And that phrase annoyed him so much that he would rather die than allow God to be compassionate. Someone who understood God, but didn't imitate God. That's, that's extraordinary. As I said before, Jonah is a prophet in the Old Testament, where if he makes a prophetic declaration and it doesn't come to pass, he is labelled as a false prophet. So he knows that if he goes in there, says they're going to be destroyed with no clause attached about repentance and they repent anyway and then they don't get destroyed, then he's a false prophet. Now, I used to be really critical of Jonah. I've, I've been through a few circumstances in my life where I found myself being a little bit like Jonah. But I had this real huge revelation about two years ago, like massive where Jonah is now actually one of my favourite characters in the Bible. Because one day I asked myself the question, and I think God placed the question in my heart, who wrote the book of Jonah? Do you know, Pastor Rob? Have a guess. Jonah. Jonah is the author. And in the entire four-chapter book, there is not one reference in those four chapters, to anything that Jonah does right or good. Do you think that's the book that you would write about yourself? Dedicate the entire book to telling how rotten you are for one purpose, to contrast that with how great God is. Paul said, I would rather boast in my weakness so that Christ would be glorified. There's a, there's a contrast between us and God. And, and our goal is that God will bridge that gap in our life and we'll become more and more like Him. One thing I've noticed, though, is the more like Him I become, the less I care about my reputation. 
the less I'm actually worried about what people think of me because I'm starting to learn more and more what God thinks of me. The more I journey with Him, the more confident I become in who He made me to be, even if that doesn't fit in every time. So there's another slide, and I'm going to call Shane up in a minute. If we could grab him a microphone for a moment. Um, Shane found this picture earlier today, and I want, I want to ask him a few questions. Uh, it's the one about Jonah. Yep, that coming up. There we go. God wasn't using Jonah to fix Nineveh. He was using Nineveh to fix Jonah. Don't, don't move so slowly, Shane. This is what I was saying before about the purpose of prophecy. It's about character. God could have sent any person to deliver this message to Nineveh. Why did he choose Jonah? Because he wanted to deal with Jonah. Anyone could have given that message. If they were bleached white from a while, it would have worked. Anyone could have delivered that message, but God sent Jonah because he wanted to deal with something in Jonah's heart. Now, Shane, I'm going to ask you a few questions just as a bit of a case study on how prophecy works. I wasn't in the whale. You weren't in the whale. I'm not bleached white, sorry. No. You were the whale. Okay. <laughs> so. Wow. Can you tell me, in as short as possible time, there's no clock. Oh, you can go as long. We're up to midnight already. Yeah. That's awesome. fantastic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach like Paul did until people fall asleep out the window. Um, can you just tell me a bit of the journey, and I'll, I'll keep interrupting with questions, of how come we have a picture up here right now that says that? Um, so, I was just going... Yes. There you go. Is it loud enough? Can everyone hear me? Yes. This is good. Um, I think after church finished this morning, I was just going through my phone and I somehow scrambled upon this picture. And it, I just got stuck there. I kept looking at it. I was like, whoa, this is something different that I've never seen before. And I, and I was stuck there and I was like, I should actually text this to Pastor John. But then I wasn't sure if I should or not. So I was struggling with he probably even knows this. He's my pastor. He knows everything. Like, so I, I, won't, I, won't, I wouldn't send it to him. And Don't tell him it's not true. <laughs> um, and so it was stuck. And I was, when we came in here and I saw Pastor John write on his book, Jonah, I was like, I was meant to send you a text today. And I felt like it was from God. And so I sent him that picture. And, yeah, and now he has it. So... So we have an example here of Shane, actually, he didn't know it at the time, but he received a prophetic word for me for today. Now, when he says after church, he says that I'm his pastor, he's in our Cal campus, and so he's an hour's drive away. Um, he knew that I was coming here tonight and that I was picking him up on the way through. That was all common knowledge. Um, but he didn't know what I'd be talking about. He just saw this picture and thought, as he was stuck on it, the thought came to his heart, I should send that to Pastor John. And he didn't. <laughs> That's a great... Who was that that asked that brilliant question? How many times do we do that? Oh, if we could count them. So it was just... Into his heart came the thought, I should send that to Pastor John. Now, I desperately needed that. And I didn't get it. But you know, for me, it actually came in at the exact right time. There's a guy sitting on a computer at the back. 
I forgot your name, sorry. Aaron? It came a bit late for Aaron. Because if I'd have got that this morning, then when I sent him the picture of the photo of my dashboard, I could have sent him both pictures at the same time instead of having to tell Shane during the third song, can you go and send that picture through? And then he missed out on all the touch of God's presence because he was too busy doing that. But if he had have sent it this morning... Anyway. So you understand, for me... In God's economy, it actually came through at the exact right time. The fact that he saw Jonah written down on my piece of paper was actually a confirmation that it was God. So I could beat him up or I could get God to beat him up or he's probably doing a good enough job at the moment beating himself up. We could go that process if we want. We could stone him as a false prophet. Oh, no, that, no, that's if he had given the message and it wasn't right. But the point is, that he had a confirmation and when it, when it was confirmed, he actually said, oh, I've got to do something about that and he showed me the picture and he tried to remember it and then just decided, no, it's easier. Show the you, can, you can jump down, that's all right. Thank you. He also uh, had this sense in his spirit around about the same time, I think, as finding that picture that at some stage tonight, he'd be asked to come up and share something he didn't know what it was going to be and I gave him an idea of what it might be and it wasn't that because... I didn't know about the picture then. But that just fits perfectly. So thank you. That's very funny for all of us. <laughs> What's the time? How long have I got? Five past. No, it's not up there. Oh, there's a clock. Oh, there's a clock. There's actually a clock. Here am I thinking technology solves everything and there's a clock. That's fantastic. Okay. Let's quickly move on to the prophet. I'm going to race through this one. Now, most people aren't called to the office of the prophet. Um, as I look around the room, I don't know whether any of you are or not. Uh, I know a couple of you that, that are, but that's irrelevant. Most of us will not be called to the office of the prophet. But we often think of a prophet as one who prophesies lots. Yeah? I've got an agreement there. That's how we think of it. Actually, when it comes to the prophet, it no longer has anything to do with prophecy. There's a scripture in Amos chapter 3 and verse 7, and uh, this doesn't necessarily clarify it, but uh, if we could bring that one up. It says, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Now that word to, where it says plans to his servants, that word to, in different translations, sometimes it says through, sometimes it says in. The prophet is actually the one who reveals an aspect of God, whether it's through prophecy or not. For example, we spoke about uh, Joseph before. Joseph is considered to be a prophet in the Bible. And he interpreted his own dream once and a couple of other people's dreams. And he said, don't let my bones stay in Egypt. That's it. That's all of his close to prophecies. But there was something of his life, the way he lived, the journey that he went on, which reveals something of God. If I talk about Jonah here, as I said before, there's only one prophecy that we know of that Jonah ever gave, and it was wrong. I mean, it wasn't wrong, but it didn't happen. He said it would happen, and it didn't happen. That's the only prophecy we have of Jonah. 
And yet we see something of God revealed in the book of Jonah, in the life of Jonah. It captures God in a way that I don't think any other Old Testament author managed to do. It's the story of the prodigal son in his life, captured so that because of his failings that he was willing to show, because of the revelation he was willing to share, we see something of God. Who's, who's glad that God is a compassionate, merciful God and slow to be angry? Gracious, abounding in love. I'm, I'm glad to understand that about God. But do you know, God can't do it until he reveals it. That's why there's so many treasure maps through the Old Testament where it's not until you understand Jesus that you understand what really happened. There's a story about Abraham. And Abraham had to wait 30 years for the promised child that God said he could have. 30 years. Now, when God came to Abraham, it was already impossible. His wife was barren. At that stage, they didn't know whose fault it was that she couldn't have kids. And then they tried to shortcut God's plan and then they knew it was her. I, I don't know if that's necessarily a fair way to say it. I'm not meaning to be judgmental on her. It wasn't her fault, but it was her problem. So she couldn't have kids. So they waited for 30 years from a pro for a promise. At the start of that 30 years, it was impossible because she was barren. Then it became impossible because she also, not only was she barren, but she was now too old to have kids. And I don't know necessarily medically how it works, but then Abraham got a bit older too, and I'm pretty sure it was getting hard for him to have kids. So God didn't just say to Abram when it was impossible, and then the miracle happened. God said it when it was impossible, and then it became more impossible. And then it became more impossible. And then it became more impossible. And then God fulfilled the promise. So... With that history of being able to hear God's voice and walk it out through faith, God then comes a second time to Abram and says, you know that son? We don't know how old he was. Some scholars will say 33. We don't know. He comes to him and says, you know that son that you couldn't have and then you had? Yeah, that one, the one that you love, your only one. I want him back. And we, we, we read that story and we think, how could this gracious, compassionate, loving God who doesn't want to destroy people, how could he possibly ask a father to sacrifice his son? And it's because he didn't actually want his son. He didn't want Abraham to kill his son. What he wanted from Abraham was for someone to be able to show us in a way that we can understand what God was going to have to do to his son, for us to be redeemed. If the musos and singers want to come. So Abraham is a prophet. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anywhere where Abraham prophesied. But his life was a prophetic declaration. Possibly one of the strongest prophetic declarations throughout Scripture of the heart of God for you, what God was going to have to go through 
for you to be born again. For you to be saved from a life of bondage. So the prophet, whether he prophesies or not, is set apart to reveal something of God.